Please turn with me today um, to the book of Revelation. Uh, we are picking up again today in Revelation chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 4, um, as we continue our, our series through the book of Revelation. Uh, we read this, we read the rest of the book with the reminder that this is a blessing to the people of God. This prophecy, this letter is meant to bless the people of God who hear it who take it to heart and who obey what is written in it. And so hear these words from Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, or behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let us pray. We come before you today, triune God, knowing that it is by your will that we have been created and brought to your word today. By your will, we will be changed and sanctified through this word. Open our ears to the teaching and our hearts to the change you will work in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been going through the larger catechism. There's also a shorter catechism that the Westminster Assembly put together. Um, The larger catechism was for adults. The shorter catechism was for children. Now we have the larger catechism. Seminary graduates memorize the shorter catechism, and we now have a children's catechism as well. But question four of the shorter catechism asks the question, what is God? And it answers with these words. God is a spirit. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And the the shorter catechism goes on in the next several questions to highlight that God is one God that exists within three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That is what we will learn today as we look at this greeting and doxology and offering of glory and worship to God in these five verses from Revelation chapter 1. That God is the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God who is one God and exists in three persons. This greeting today, we were told in Revelation 1.1 that this revelation came to John through Jesus and angels from God. And our passage today expands on the God who gives, gives us this book and this greeting He is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. As as commentators have looked at at that particular statement, they've scratched their head because John has such good grammar in the original language in his letters and in his gospel, but this is just wonky grammar in the original language as he basically says, grace and peace to you from he that is, he the was, and he that is to come. But if we look back to Exodus chapter 3, to the Greek version 
of Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is there before the burning bush and he says, who shall I say is sending me? In the Greek version of that, God says, he the is is sending you. John is pulling from Exodus chapter 3 and reminding us that God the Father, the covenant God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel, excuse me, the covenant God of those he calls to be his people is the one that is sending this letter, this greeting to God's people. And then he goes on to say that the greeting also comes from the seven spirits before his throne. And there's been a lot of discussion over what that means. What are, who are the seven spirits before the throne? But as we read in Zechariah chapter four earlier, the, it is by God's spirit. That sevenfold lampstand in Zechariah four. It is by God's spirit that he builds up his people and specifically in Zechariah builds up his temple. We'll see in a bit that we are being built into a kingdom of priests and it is through the work of the sevenfold Holy Spirit that that is happening. The Holy Spirit is alive and well within his church, knitting us together, sanctifying us, building us to be a kingdom and priest for God in this world. And then he comes to and from Jesus Christ. We typically think of the Trinity in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit, but but John offers us the Trinity here as Father, Spirit, and Son because it is Jesus Christ who will work out the history that is unfolded for us in this book. And he goes on to describe Jesus in, in terms of His office as prophet, priest, and king. He is a faithful witness. Prophets were called to testify or to witness to the people of God what God's will for them was. He is called uh, the firstborn from the dead, which reminds us that he was the sacrifice for our sin as the priest. And yet he has been raised from the dead. And finally, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, fulfilling his role as king, as God's king over this earth. And even though many of the rulers reject his rule, they still rule and exist under the sovereign power of God. And so God brings this greeting to the seven churches. We'll look more at the seven churches in the coming weeks. But, but John brings this greeting to the seven churches from God, from the triune God, from the God who is eternal, infinite, or excuse, that he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And he brings this blessing to the church. And in this blessing, in this greeting, he tells us that God will build his church that God will bless his church and that God will discipline his church. First, God is building the church. We talked a little bit last week that, that Sinclair Ferguson tells us that we should look at the book of Revelation as the movie version of the statement that Jesus gives us in Matthew and in, Mar in Matthew. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the book of Revelation is a picture of the gates of hell trying to prevail against the church of God throughout the history from the ascension to the second coming. And we are reminded through this that God will always be victorious. And so God will build his church. And we see that in here, both in the in the word church itself and in the description he gives of the church. The church in its in its original language comes from the same root as to call or to gather somebody. 
as it is used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the church is a is a picture of people who have been gathered together for the purpose of worshiping and serving God. These people have been called together. The church has been called together to be first and foremost a kingdom. In Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2, the stone that breaks through the statue, the stone not hewn from human hands, is a, a small stone that breaks apart the kingdoms of the world and then grows into a large mountain where nations can find peace, where nations can find protection. Jesus picks up that parable in the king in the picks up that picture in the parables of the kingdom of God where he talks about the kingdom of God starting as a small seed and growing into a large tree that feeds and protects the people of the world. We are called and being built together into God's kingdom. It's not a geographical kingdom. It's it's not a, a an earthly kingdom as we would think, but we are being gathered together to be a place of Life, a place of protection, a place where God ministers to the world through his people, through his church. Secondly, we are being built into priests. We are a a kingdom of people who have been called to be priests. In the Old Testament, the priests were the people who who mediated between God and the nation of Israel. They they took care of the sacrificial system. They, they took care of the, of the um, uh, uh, mercy ministries of the people of God. And, they, and they, they worked to serve and to worship God so that a holy God could live among an unholy people. And in Exodus 19.6, God told the Israelites that he was going to make that entire people a nation of priests who would not only mediate God's holiness amongst themselves, but would mediate God's holiness to the whole world. And John echoes that truth here. We cannot sacrifice on people's behalf because we are unworthy sacrifices and because the one true lamb has already been sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. But we can serve as priests through our worship of God and our service to him. Simon Kistemacher gives us eight ways in which we serve as priests in God's kingdom. First, we seek to live obediently by the rules of Christ's kingdom. And and John tells us in verse 3 that that brings blessings to the people of God. Secondly, we pray for those in authority and we seek to conduct ourselves peaceably with those in authority. Thirdly, we can demonstrate God's love by helping the poor and the hungry. We can defend the rights of the disadvantaged as we move on. Then we can care for the needy as we serve God as priests. And the most important things we can do after prayer is to proclaim and to teach the gospel of Jesus and then to testify to his present reign over all the earth. We can honor Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and continually pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But if God is building his church, if he is building to be a a, a church of kingdom and priests, how does he build the church? And once again, the answer is twofold. John really likes seven. He uses it 55 times throughout the book of Revelation, but two shows up frequently as well. First, he builds the church through his past work. The work of freeing us. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. 
God the Father called a people. God the Son has atoned for the sin of those people. God the Spirit applies that completed work to his people. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross so that the sins of God's people could be taken from them and a righteousness that was foreign to them could be placed on them. We are freed from the bondage of our sin by the blood of Jesus. The second way that God is building his church is through the love of Jesus, the present love of Jesus. Notice what it says there. It says to him who loves us, or more literally to him who is loving us and has freed us from our sin. Jesus has completed a past work. And he is doing a work now, a work that involves loving his children, loving his people. Jesus love is an ongoing action for and toward his people. We are built together as the kingdom. We are built together as priests. And we are doing that through the process of being loved by Jesus right now. Where do you suffer? Where do you struggle? Jesus loves you right now. Where do you wrestle with holiness? Even in the midst of that struggle, Jesus loves you right now. So Jesus, God, is building His church. Secondly, the thing that we see in this passage is is that God blesses His church. When you and I write letters, well, I guess I should say if you and I write letters these days, but if or when we write letters, we typically end the letter with something like love, sincerely, in Christ. Some form of words that are meant to offer, especially in a personal, bless, uh, personal letter, a blessing to those who hear the letter. Letters in the first century began with the blessing. And the blessing that God gives to us through John is the blessing of grace and peace. Grace is a, was a typical um, greeting and, and uh, goodbye to people as you would meet them in the Greek culture, uh, much like if you go to Hawaii today and they say aloha, whether you're greeting hello or goodbye. Uh, if you were greeting a friend in, in this time period in the Greek-speaking world, you would say grace to them. And you, you would, by saying grace, you would you would hope to have fortune and favor fall upon them. But John takes this word and uses it in his other letters, this word grace, to, to contrast the life that comes as God's gift to his people in contradiction to the death that comes through the law. The triune God gives grace and undeserved favor, that, that freedom from sin, that love of Jesus is undeserved. And that grace comes upon you through the triune God. And John, being a Greek-speaking Hebrew, also gives us the Hebrew greeting, peace. If you were in the Hebrew context, they would say shalom to each other as you greeted them and as you said goodbye. A sense of peace, a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness, a sense of all obligations in a covenant relationship have been met. Jesus, fully God and fully man, met God's part of the covenant. He met man's part of the covenant. And because of that, we have the grace of being at peace with God. Let that sink in for a moment, brothers and sisters. If you have experienced the freedom from sin that Jesus gives through his blood, you are at peace 
with God. It feels like you're at war sometimes because that, that, that fleshly sinful man is still there tempting you and, and, and making you want to sin. As Paul says in Romans 7, what I want to do, that's not what I want. That's not what I do, but it's what I hate to do is the things that I actually do. And it feels like a war. But you are at peace with God in the midst of that war. Paul goes on to say in Romans at the end of Romans 8 that there is nothing on this earth that can separate us from the love or the peace that God gives to his people through grace, through freedom from sin, through the love of Jesus. And so God gives this blessing to his church as they are being knit together as a kingdom and as priests. Grace to you and peace to you from my throne. You you through my grace are at peace with me now. God says. So God builds his church. God blesses his church. I have to stop here for just a second. And I say one of the, the tools to help people remember something is alliteration. You try to start the three main words with the same letter or the same sound. And let me tell you, I tried. <laughs> I tried really hard. I looked for a, a word that started with B for this next point, but it just doesn't exist. So God builds, God blesses, and God disciplines His church. We're still at peace with Him, but He does come to us and discipline us. Verse 7 says, Look, or behold, He is coming with the clouds. And that holds the truth, the assurance, the glory, the peace, and the grace, and the blessing of the book of Revelation is held in that statement. He is coming. We need to always be ready because his coming will be sudden and expected. People are not looking for it. And at times within the church, we fall into that trap to where like the five unfaithful virgins in the parable of the 10 virgins, we show up unprepared. We need to be prepared. He is coming. And he will come, we're told here, in such a way that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who reject him, even those who turn their back like the people in the time of Noah who disbelieved Noah when he was building the ark. They will see him and they will mourn or wail depending upon your translation. And that word translated mourn there is an external show. It's the mourning that you would that you would give if you were one of those paid mourners that would show up at a funeral. I actually saw an article this week as I was studying this. You can still get a gig doing that every now and then. You can still be paid to show up at a funeral and cry and wail. Maybe not in our culture, but in other cultures around the world. You can still be paid to be a mourner for somebody. I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Easy money. Yeah, easy money, yeah. But that's, that's the picture here. Somebody who has this external sense of dread because they've been caught. Not because there's an internal heart change, but simply because they've been caught. It's like, you're, it's like a kid, you know? They do something wrong and they, you catch them and they get all kind of weepy and mopey and I'm sorry, mom, and I'm sorry, mom. But you know, in five minutes, they're going right back to the candy jar taking a piece of candy that you told them not to because they were more sorry they got caught than they were that they sinned. And that's the picture here. And we see it throughout the book of Revelation. At the end of the, 
at the end of the the vision of the uh, seven seals, the impending coming of God causes people to go into caves and pray that the mountains would fall on them so they would be separated from God's holiness. At the end of the the trumpets and the bowls, we are told that even in the face of, of multiple calls, the peoples refused to repent. They will wail being caught. They will mourn being caught. But they will not repent. And God's judgment will fall upon them. But there's another sense that we get as we look at this, as we look at the next section, as we consider it and the rest of the the context of the book of Revelation is that not only does Jesus going to arrive at the end of time, bringing judgment upon sin and and restoration and peace for his people. But in the next section, we see Jesus walking among the seven golden lampstands. And John is told at the end of chapter one. The mystery of the seven stars that you've seen in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is walking among his churches right now. And he will come to judge or to bless his churches. When we get through chapters two and three, we're going to see where Jesus calls out these seven specific churches, which were specific churches that had specific issues. But if we look at those issues, it's many of the same issues we struggle with in the church today. And Jesus promises discipline for churches who fail to repent. What do those churches struggle with that we struggle with today? As important as doctrine is, Ephesus struggles with a love of doctrine rather than a love of Jesus. At least two of the churches struggle with sexual immorality within the church. Doctrine is important because at least one of the churches is called out for embracing false teachings within the church. Another church is called out for a false zeal and outward passion for God that does not touch the inner man, the inner heart. And finally, Laodicea. Everybody knows Laodicea. Be be hot, be cold, or I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. They suffered from a false belief that worldly success equaled God's favor. And while the book of Revelation is a movie version of Jesus' promise that he will build his church, we must remember he doesn't say, I will build fairly associate reformed Presbyterian church. He says, I will build my church. The church will grow, but individual churches may disappear Each of those seven churches that we'll look at in the coming weeks, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Each of those sites are each of those churches are archaeological sites today. They do not exist. God will come to discipline his church. Jesus is examining his church day by day. And he will come to discipline the church that will not repent and follow him. We must take the teaching of this letter to heart and seek to apply the teaching in such a way that we are a light to the world. Or as Jesus says, he will take the light away and move his focus elsewhere. God builds his church. God blesses his church. And God disciplines his church. God, through John, wraps up this greeting by talking directly to 
his people. Something he does at the beginning, something he does at the end of the book. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God knows God is going to reveal to John throughout the rest of the book that the church will suffer tribulation. The church will suffer persecution. The world driven by the enemy will attack the church and seek to destroy it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, even though they will try. And God gives this blessing through John and then he interjects himself and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus, or God is the beginning and the end. This, is, this statement is given to Jesus at the end of the book, another, another sign that John sees the divinity of Jesus, the equality with God that Jesus has as the second person of the Trinity or the third person of the Trinity in this context. But here, the Lord God interjects himself and says, look, I started a work within the church. I am the alpha of the church. I am the alpha of this world. I am the alpha of my people, physical and spiritual Israel. I am the beginning. And I am also the omega, the end of that work as well. And we are to assume, based on that literary reference, that everything in between is included as well. He didn't just start and then show up again sometime in the future to finish it. He is active in all of it because he is the God who is, the God who was, the God who is to come. As the author of Hebrews says it, he is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why do you think so many times in the history of the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, when the psalmist is struggling He goes back to the beginning. Psalm 136, that great declaration over and over again, the steadfast love of God endures forever. The psalmist needed not only to be reminded that God was steadfast in his love, but he also needed to be reminded that he was the Alpha and the Omega because he goes all the way back to creation. You're the God who created. Your steadfast love endures forever. You're the God who called a people. Your steadfast love endures forever. And in that, we are reminded that if he started it, if he continued it, he will finish the work within his people. Being in the church, being the church in the world is difficult. And yet God has everything in his hand from beginning to end. And he will complete the work that he has done. Revelation is a blessing to the people of God and that blessing is seen in the truth that no matter what happens to God's people in history, God will see them through because he is the beginning and the end of history. He's the eternal God and he is the unchangeable God. The next time we hear God on the lips of God, the words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is in the new heavens and the new earth. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, 21, excuse me, Revelation 21, he goes through this list. I will wipe away every tear. I will heal and defeat death. I will I will heal every hurt. It is complete for I am the alpha and the omega, 
the beginning and the end. Brothers and sisters, God gives us grace and peace to see us through everything that Satan throws at us. And he gives us the assurance that he will see us all the way through because he is the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God, the Alpha and the Omega. Take heart. You are safe and secure in the hands of the God who builds, blesses, and disciplines. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we take those words for granted. Many of us have grown up within the church and we have heard, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, so many times that, there are, that, that, that we just miss the significance of the truth there. As we have joy in this world, as we have struggles in this world, as we wrestle with life and with the attacks of the enemy, we can be assured that because you are the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, that the good work that you began, you will see to its glorious completion. Lord, help us to leave here today knowing that you build your church, knowing that you bless the church, and knowing that, yes, you discipline the church, but also knowing that you'll see us through to the glorious end that awaits us in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And also, as you go this week, I I leave the blessing with you that John began his book with. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We lift up our voices in prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.